Welcome to the Orchard. We are glad you're here today. We had a baptism this morning, and if you, baptism is one of my favorite things, as you see people expressing their faith in God externally. If you're in this place, and you were baptized somewhere in your past, maybe as an infant or even sometime in your life, and, but you have gone, your spiritual journey has taken you who knows where, you know where, and you want to get baptized again, uh, we have something for you. If you're in this house and you believe in Jesus but have never been baptized, we have something for you too. Next week, right after this service, upstairs in our library, Pastor Dan Bosco is going to lead a baptism class because in July we're going to have a big church uh, cookout uh, at a different location where we have some river access and do a bunch of baptisms there in the river. So if you're interested in that, that is next Sunday right after uh, this service up in the library. If you've been with us through the spring, you know we've been in the book of Exodus, but we're taking a short break lately in the summer just to look at the parables of Jesus and also this certain prayer, this, this, this group of verses that Jesus said are very important. It's called the Shema. It's this prayer that Jesus prayed every morning and every night. It goes like this, love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. It's from the book of Deuteronomy, way back in the Old Testament, and they would pray this every morning and every night. Then Jesus came along, and he added on to this. Someone said, what's the most important commandment in the Bible? I mean, you know, which one would you guess? You know, which one would it be? Be nice to people in traffic? That's important. What's like the most important one of all? And Jesus said, it's this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. He added in mind and strength. And then he put on another verse, and love other people as yourself. It's where we as a church get our love God and love people. Jesus said the entire Bible is summed up in love God and love people. We want our entire church to be summed up by that very thing. And my hope is, is that each of your spiritual lives, the more and more you mature in Jesus, you love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and you love people as yourself. So that's what we're jumping into today, and today we're going to take out one part of it, and that is love God with all your mind, the part that Jesus added in. And what does it mean to love God with all your mind? What would that even look like? The word here that Jesus uses for mind, it means thoughts and understanding and even imagination. How many of you have ever loved God with your imagination? I mean, it's a strange and interesting thought, but oftentimes our imagination is that place where fantasy and worry own us. So what does it mean to love God with all of our mind, our thoughts, our imagination? Well, I want to take a little time today and look at this thing called the mind, because over the past century and even the decades, there's been some amazing discoveries when it comes to our brains. You see, for hundreds of years, there was this assumption that once somebody passed through puberty and got to be a certain age, their brain was, their growth was done. It was settled. And the only way that your brain could change was through things like trauma, stroke, or injury. But researchers have found something incredible that actually each of our brains are in a constant state of change, even yours, significantly so. And this is called neuroplasticity. You may have read about it, you may have heard about it, but it is your brain's ability to reorganize and to change itself. So what we learn is our brain is constantly changing and working, creating new neural pathways based on what you think, based on what you experience. A neural pathway is an electrical impulse in our brain. As you experience something new, it creates, or have a new thought, it creates a new pathway in your brain. 
That path is formed, and as you experience it more or think it more, it gets easier. Think of a college campus for me, okay? Pristine college campus, sidewalks with a big green lawn, and then you put all those freshmen who get the 8.30 classes in the morning and they don't know any better, and they're late to class. And on the first day of school, that one student, they look at the sidewalk, but then they want to cut through. So that first person on the first day cuts through the grass to their class. And if you were to go look at that pathway, you could probably barely even notice that someone had been there. But by the end of the semester, as all the freshmen learn, there will be a path through that grass that will have dirt the whole way through. And other people who didn't even consider taking it will be walking on the sidewalk and go, ah, there you go, a shortcut. This is what happens in our brain. As you begin to have a new neural pathway, it becomes easier and easier to travel those as you, as, you, as you thought it. Now, there were times at some point in your life, imagine this, where you first thought about something and it was awkward. But by now, you've been thinking about these things your whole life and you get it. It's easy. I was thinking back to my children and when they were younger and the first time I saw my son have a pretty big, significant moment of self-doubt. It was a new thing for him. Do you remember when self-doubt was new? I mean, it sounds impossible, doesn't it? I watched him in this moment of self-doubt. It, it, was, it, was a new, it came with new emotions. Now, each of you had a moment in your childhood that you can't remember of self-doubt. But over 20 years, over 30 years, over many years, however long you've been alive, that you've been walking that, ro- that path of self-doubt, there are some of us that has been stealing and robbing the enjoyment out of our lives. That, that thought that we have taken so many times can keep us from stepping out into things that we would truly enjoy that would be healthy for us. And so for some of us, we have a lifetime of negative thoughts and neural pathways, and we have come to this place today, to, and you believe, this is just how I am. I'm just a warrior. I'm just an anxious person. I just get so angry. I'm just this. This is how I am. But neuroplasticity is t- tells us that this is not the case. Neuroplasticity tells us that our brain has an ability to change itself based on how you decided to think. You have thought your way into a reality today, and neuroplasticity says you can think your way into a different reality. One of my favorite authors on the topic is Dr. Caroline Leaf, and I had uh, some books up here to give away for free, but the 830 service, they're readers, and they took them all. So... Write down Dr. Caroline Leaf. She is a scientist on the leading edge of neuroplasticity who loves God and has a deep faith. And in her books, she describes how our brains are meant to love God and know him greater and how thoughts impact that. She combines the Bible and, 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 and science to show how we can change our quality of faith and life peace, all these things. And so if I were you I would, and you're interested in this topic or, or you're interested in changing the way that you think, or you have thought yourself into some bad patterns, go read a book by Dr. Caroline Leaf. This sermon is, is I mean, this is going to be phenomenal, but she's a lot smarter than I am, right? Okay? You need more help from her. Um, here's the bottom line. Our thoughts, they're powerful. They're powerful thoughts. Did you know that how you think and, and what you think about drastically affects the quality of every single one of your days and moments? Neural pathways, both good and bad, They are firing throughout the day, changing your experiences in the moment. They're changing how you perceive the world. They change how you interact with relationships. These pathways have come to impact the way that you see yourself. Some of you walked in today and sat in church and you had this thought of, oh no, what am I doing here? If the people only knew. And there's this shame pathway, this guilty pathway that you have walked often enough that even here today or as you're listening would be part of your experience 
These pathways also have had, they, they impact how we, how we view God and how we think God views us. They go deep within us, and they, they create these core beliefs. And so, first of all, our, our thoughts are powerful. And you may have heard a speaker at some time say, you know, change your thoughts and change your life. And there's some truth to that, but here's how. You know, when you begin to change your thoughts, it changes your emotions in that moment. You change your emotions for long enough and it changes your attitudes. Change your attitudes and your perspective on life begins to change. As you change your perspective on life, you begin to step out and behave differently. As you begin to behave differently, your habits begin to form differently. And as your habits change, so your entire life changes. So where are we going to focus? Let's go to the thoughts. Because God said to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. What does that look like? And how could that impact our habits and even our whole character in our life? What you believe most in life is affected and changed by what we think about, what we choose to think about. As you create and establish these neural pathways, your attitudes, your beliefs, your behaviors, your perspectives, they come out of that. So the power of negative thinking is something that I want to talk about because it is more powerful than you could ever know. Oftentimes our negative thoughts greet us in the morning, you know? And if that wasn't enough, oftentimes the first thing we do is check our phones and the negative news of the world greets us in the morning. And oftentimes our, our, our negative thoughts go with us throughout the day. I don't know which of these you may deal with or not, but, but for some of us, anxiety is just a constant companion, worry health concerns for ourselves or someone else, kid concerns, job stress, relationship preoccupation, anger, bitterness, rehearsing failures, reliving past wounds, rehashing that argument, and this time you really win it, you know, vice or fantasy. These things are that many of us, all of us in some way, deal with and walk through every single day. And our thinking is so powerful that it directly correlates and responds to our relationships, how we relate to one another and how we relate to God, and how we think of ourself. I mean, if you think that you're worthless, your responses, your perception of yourself in the world is going to be much different, and your actions will grow out of the, the thought that you are worthless. If you think someone else is worthless, your response to them and how you perceive them and how you behave toward them is going to be much different. A lot of the fruit of my life that, that others see comes from how I have found myself thinking, which reminds me of a story I have of a friend. He had a beautiful apple tree at his house. It was planted directly over their septic sewage leach system, and which meant the, yeah, yeah, I heard a ooh, There's a little ooh there, and so the roots would go down deep, deep into that rich soil, and that, that soil was warmer because of the leach field, and so even when there was frost around, the, he would look out and see that that, that, that warm soil growing that apple tree. And he said that when it was in season, he said that there were just huge, nice, juicy apples. And I said, man, what did they taste like? And he goes, he said, I don't know. I'm not eating that thing. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not so sure I want to eat an apple from a sewage tree, even though they're growing plentifully. You see, fruit grows from what it's planted in. Our attitudes, biases, and our responses, they grow from that soil that we're thinking. Negative thoughts grow fruit. It might look good, but you don't know where it came from. So, a lot of our fruit from our life comes from the inner thoughts that we're having, whether negative or positive. 
Okay, so, so we get it. We've heard enough self-help books and we've known enough about this and you've heard me for a few minutes now. Our thoughts are powerful. We get it. Our thoughts impact us more than we know. And God wants us to love him with all of our mind. How do we reconcile this? How do we do all that? Well, the short answer is we first must change our paradigm. Before I just, I just tell you the bottom lines, we must change the paradigm. And that's this. When it comes to your thought life, you can no longer be a passive person. A lot of us are just along for the ride. We believe our thoughts come in and we just take them and follow them. Whatever thought comes in, we're at the whim of that thought until we're done with it. You must stop being a passive person when it comes to what you think. And here's the reality. You are, your mind is a battleground and there is a war. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he knows all about this and how we, there's good and there's evil and how we act sinful and we do good things and how our thoughts affect it. And he says this in Romans 7, 19 through 23. I want to do good, but I don't. Now, any of us could journal this, right? I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what it's not, I don't want to, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle in life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law. I love God's way with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. I love God's way with all my heart. What is the, how's the Shema go? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. He goes, I love God with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. And the result of that is me not doing what I want to do and, and doing the things I don't want to do. Paul is saying there's a battle within us between good and sinful mind, and our mind is ground zero. The war is waged in my thoughts. It's waged based on accusations and beliefs and these speculations. And, and the Bible is clear, and it's not po popular anymore to say this. The Bible is clear that we have an enemy, and the enemy is called the accuser because he accuses you. And when you step into church and you think that thought of, oh, how could I be in here? And oh, if these people only knew. Is that the voice of God, do you think? Or is that an accusation? And how often are we accused somewhere in our life you can be going throughout your day and have this accusation hit you and you think it's probably your own self and you might agree with it or even go, run with it. We're at war and accusations are levied at you to take you out, to, take, to shrink your faith, to shrink you to a, just a shame, to you believe what the shame says about you. This enemy, the accuser, has de declared war upon us, and he uses accusations and speculations to attack us. And, and if you were the enemy of humanity, where's the one place you would attack them to change their attitudes, emotions, and relationships? You attack them on their mind and their thoughts, because that's where the emotions grow out of. Listen to what Paul says in the attack of the accuser in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we live in this world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, the weapons we have have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. He says there is a war, but it's not a war like the world is fighting, and we do have weapons, but they're not weapons like the world is fighting. And he says to demolish these arguments that get in between us and knowing God. There's something that gets in between you and knowing God. The word for argument is logismos, and a, and a better translation right here would be speculation. 
that there are speculations that get between you and, no, and the knowledge of God, get between you and knowing God. A speculation is this, the forming of a belief without solid evidence. The forming of a belief without solid evidence. Speculations are often what-if questions, and we've talked about this with a terrible outcome in mind. And as, as humans, our neuroplasticity takes a speculation and takes like a baton and just runs with it. Like, I got this speculation. Oh, I, I, we might have cancer? Let me just take that and run. Oh, the relationship might be over? Let me just take this speculation from the future and run with it. What if he's cheating? What if she's done? What if this is how I'll always be? What if I can't change? What if I lose my job? What if they die? Like, what, what if the worst happens? What am I going to do now? There's an unlimited number of what-ifs, and each of you has, deals with what-ifs in your life based on your experiences and what you're going through right now. What if and then insert the worst-case scenario. That is a speculation. And you know what happens when the speculation hits you? It causes fear, which is the root emotion to so many other things, anger, depression, control, anxiety. Speculation is the thief that comes into your world and robs you of your present peace and joy and takes you to a future that doesn't yet exist where you can suffer. Paul says these speculations are at war with our minds and they keep us from knowing God. In other words, speculations drag you further from faith in God. The what if, the worry is no small thing. Worry is the worst. I did a whole sermon on this. Worry is the worst. We have stopped, we've, we've got to stop bragging about, oh, I'm just a worrier. We've got to stop just saying, oh, I, I worry. Uh, we've got to stop that. Worry is the worst it takes you out of the present peace, joy, and whatever God would have for you and brings you into a place to suffer in the future that you don't have to. The Bible says that speculation and worry keep us from knowing God. It actually hurts my faith when I choose to worry. Paul tells us to demolish these speculations. Now, the word demolish, does that sound passive and moderate? Is that nice and churchy? He says to demolish them. That is, that is intense. It is, it is aggressive. It is, it's warfare. We're to be demolishing these speculations and worries which attack us. And how do we do that? With the truth. The truth is the easy answer. You have to use the truth. But there's something else I've realized as I've studied this, the brain lately. And that's the, do you know the brain? Your brain doesn't know the difference between what's actually experiencing real and what you're worrying about. Did you know if you're, if you're living in a fantasy, let's say you're having an anger fantasy. You're in the shower and you're having that argument with that person and this time you're winning. You know those arguments where you're like, this time they're, oh, I'm just going to let them have it. But as you go through that living in an alternate reality, fully engaged with your imagination and your mind in a reality that doesn't exist, your body biologically and physiologically changes. Your heart rate increases and adrenaline is re released. Anger will rise. You are, you are feeling the, the reality of the event. That's what worry does. Worry causes you to feel the reality of the event. Now, right here, I have something very simple. This is a lemon. Um, this is a very sour lemon. Now, when I tell you that I have a lemon right here and I smell it, like, you know, you have a neural pathway, most all of you. You have a neural pathway for a lemon. You've smelled a lemon. You know what that smells like. You have licked a lemon. Like, you know, you know what that lemon does. Now, I have a little slice here. Um, let's see. 
Let's see, who does not like sour things? Are you, do you want to come up, dude? Are you okay? Do you, you want to come eat a piece of lemon on stage? No, him. No, he's like, no. I, I can't eat the lemon. I still have to preach a sermon. But, but for somebody, they would, they would take this lemon, and as they bit it, your brain has a neural pathway that tells you to pucker up and salivate. And some of you, uh, biologically and physiologically, have had the effects of that lemon impact you even though you didn't bite it. And that is just a short little tiny taste of the reality that when you worry or you live in fantasy, your body acts as if it is real and emotionally responds as if it is real. So when you worry and you're living in a false reality in the future, your body doesn't know the difference. And it's releasing all the negative things into your life that would come as if it was happening. The brain takes a neural pathway of experience of biting into a sour lemon and responds accordingly. And that's why our imagination, our worry, what we choose to think about is important. Your anxious thoughts cause an emotional, adrenal reaction. To combat this this, this reality, it's warfare, we must get out of the rut and, and walk a different pathway based on truth. Now, speculation seems like truth because there can be a hint of truth, truth in it. Oh, they're not, this, this is happening over here. What if? It could be, it's, it's an easy, not, what if the worst happens? It could. The speculation seems like truth because it's close enough to it. But it is in the future. It's a reality that doesn't exist yet, and it may not. Here's an example to know the truth from the untruth. You know, when they were training people, law enforcement and uh, CIA in, in counterfeit studies, you may have heard this, they, they don't give them all the fake $100 bills to memorize. Like, memorize all the fakes so that if you see a fake, you know it. How many fakes are there? They have to memorize every fake. And, and criminals, they've known, they're known for being creative. There's a new fake. You know what they do? They give them the real one, and they say, learn this, become intimate with it, know, know the smell, the feel, know everything about the truth, so that any fake that you see is obvious. You don't have to learn every fake, every lie, every speculation. You only have to learn the truth to know it's a lie, it's a speculation, an accusation, a falsity. The greatest counterfeit is the one that is closest to the truth. The greatest lie is the one that's closest to the truth. So know the truth that you're going to fight. Know the truth of Jesus. The, the, the greatest um, lie is the one closest to the truth. Oh, you are a sinner. Man, that is true. That's not all the truth. I'm also saved by grace and forgiven. There is no condemnation for Christ. You see, there's some little bit of truth in some of these speculations, accusations, and lies that let us live in the shame, the guilt, or the worry of them. But... We need to grow in our knowledge of God. We need to grow in our knowing of Him so that we know the truth. The verse says to demolish speculations that come between me and knowing God. Knowing God, I don't know if you know this, knowing God, knowledge in God is something that can atrophy or grow. Is it growing in your life or is it atrophying? Have you increased your knowledge of God this past year in any way? Have you grown in your knowing of God? Have we read more Facebook or more Bible? For me, it's a simple thing. Like when I'm driving, do I put on a meaningless podcast or one that has, you know, a sermon or leadership or something that's going to feed my soul? Have you started? Have you read a new book? Have you grown in your knowledge? Have you increased your knowing of God? Because this is, it's vital to your spiritual, mental, and emotional health 
of a believer to have our minds growing in our love and knowledge of God. So that when speculations come against us, when accusations come against us, we recognize it for what it is, a fake, a lie. If some, if some speculation, let's say an accusation comes at me, and the only knowledge of God I have is that Jesus died and I'm going to heaven someday. How does that knowledge of heaven someday help me stand against an attack on my identity and my marriage today? Now, the fact that he died on the cross and I'm going to heaven someday is powerful, potent truth. But when the, spec- when the accusation attacks and declares that I'm a, I'm a terrible person or, or that you're a sinful and wicked person or, or that you can't control yourself, your vices and insecurities own you or I just can't quit sinning, I don't feel like going to church, I don't feel like God loves me, I'm not sure of myself, I'm, I'm worthless, I'm too messed up, I've, I've done too much, I'm too damaged. When those things, those are accusations, life is too much of a wreck, too many things have gone wrong. When these accusations hit our life, we must be armed with a knowledge of God that goes beyond, a knowledge of God that we, we say we know who he is and who we are in light of that. So when accusations hit my life, I have to go. What do I do? I have to go stand on the truth that I have found. I'm a, I'm a child of God, John 1, 12. I'm a friend of Jesus, John 15, 15. My old sin and my old self died, Romans 6, 6. God does not condemn me at all, Romans 8, 1. I am loved. I am accepted by Jesus, Romans 15, 7. I am the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit of power within me, 2 Corinthians 2, 14. I am a new creation of Jesus. In fact, the old is gone and that shame is gone. And the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I'm not a slave to sin. I've been set free by Jesus, Galatians 5, 1. I am chosen, I am holy, and I am blameless in front of God because of Jesus, Ephesians 1, 4. And here it is, I am fully redeemed. I am fully forgiven because of what Jesus did, Galatians 1, 7. So you want to come to me and accuse me of who I am? I know the truth. Without that, I'm lost. Without that, I'm not armed at all. And I'm at the whim of whatever accusation or speculation hit me. And oh no, maybe God's grace isn't big enough. Maybe I've just out Jesus' forgiveness. Maybe I've just done too much. Demolish speculations. Demolish accusations that attack me. Because they're attacking my worth, my faith, my relationship with God, my marriage, my parenting. Know the truth of who God is. Know what his word says. And may our thoughts and minds be rooted in them so that when it comes, you can stand and declare the truth. The verse ends with, take captive every thought and make it obedience to Christ. The word here invokes this image of binding and taking a prisoner of war. This isn't a nice little sweet thing. Take captive every thought and make it obedient. Because there is a war for your soul and your heart and your mind is the battleground. So in this war, you take captive those thoughts of how terrible you are or how scary the future is or how damaged you are or how everything's lost. You take it, you take it captive and you bind it and you march it and you give it no mercy and no quarter and you take it to God's presence and say, Jesus, this accusation tells me I'm worthless. But I know who you say I am. Or Jesus, this, this speculation about my, my loved one or myself's future is terrifying. I take it to you to make it obedient to you, Jesus. Replace, replace the accusation, replace the speculation with God's truth. 
Neuroplasticity is changing your experience by changing what you think. And taking negative thoughts captive and making them obedient to Jesus' truth is vital for neuroplasticity for the believer. You know what else is amazing? Neuroplasticity, um, this rather modern discovery of science, <laughs> it's all over this book because God created your brain. Let's just take, let's, oh, neuroplasticity is new? Okay, let's look at this. Um, Paul in Romans 12 too, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The New Living Translation says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. This is divinely commissioned neuroplasticity before science had even a lab coat. You are transformed by the renewing of your mind and changing the way you think. I mean, thank God for neuroplasticity. And how are some ways to renew your mind? Oh, people often say, oh, you need to think less. You need to empty yourself of all thoughts. You need to just stop thinking the bad things. In reality, if you want to renew your mind, change the way you think, you need to think more things. Think more things. But think a different way. Think the way God intended you. We need to think about good things, and we need to do it often, and we need to do it on purpose, and we need to focus on it. My mind has become so accustomed to thinking about worry and anxiety and anger, I need to inject good thoughts in there, great thoughts, godly thoughts, and I need to meditate on those things. And some of you are in here, or you're listening along, and you're thinking, I'm hearing positive thinking and meditation. Oh, great. There's a whole industry on that. You've probably read a book or listened to a podcast. How are we doing with it? You doing all right? We might know about it, but how are we doing? See, positive thinking in pop psychology, I mean, there's preachers in suits much better than this that they, they, do, they sell books about it and they talk about it, right? Yes, yes, they do. But there are rabbis in poor robes who've talked about it much longer before them. I was reading this expert who doesn't even believe in God, and he was talking about his discovery journey into positive thinking and all this stuff, and he assumed it was this modern invention. He was discovering these new places, and he read some ancient Hebrew writing and was amazed to find these sages discussing the very things that he was discovering all new. The countless places in the New Testament where it talks about this before any lab had been opened, where do you think they got it from? From God, the author of our minds, who calls you to love him with all your mind. So let's go back to that ancient prayer. Remember in Deuteronomy, I said they had that ancient prayer, the Shema. And they said that this is, this is, Jesus said this is the one that sums up everything. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love others as yourself. In Deuteronomy, it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And then he says this. How do you keep thinking good, good things? He says, these commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Keep them upon you, in front of you. Impress them on your children. Teach your kids. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you're chilling, when you're at home, when you're with your spouse, when you walk along the road, when you're driving to Aspen, when you're going to work, when you lie down, may it be the last thing you think about. When you wake up, may it greet you in the morning. Tie, these, tie something around you as a symbol on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write these on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Like, 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 do these things. Keep it in front of you. Teach it. Talk about it. If you need to wear a rubber band, wear a wristband, wear something. When you see it, oh yes, love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Put it on like a hat and wear it so you're always conscious of it. In fact, then they say, write it at your house. They say, put it on the door frame. But don't just start at the door frame. Put it on your fridge. 
put a note on your dashboard. Write it on your mirror so when you wake up and look at yourself in the morning and the accusation goes, bing, bing, you instead read the words there that say, I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I will love other people as myself, and this will go with me throughout the day, and this will be a part of things I think about every day, all day, because it changes your thinking. And what you're thinking changes you. Be transformed by changing your way of thinking. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renew your mind by having this with you all the time. Renew it. Thank God for neuroplasticity. Thank goodness he created us the way he did. What if all those thoughts that you have now throughout your day that you're angry and anxious, you have worn that path down for a lifetime and you have come to believe and accept, I, this is just how I am. This is who I am. This is how it is for me. What if your mind got in the habit of beginning to think godly thoughts on God's word during the day whenever you would have one of those thoughts come up? What if you just started there? And listen, it's progress, not perfection. Because you're going to find tomorrow, you're going to be like, again, on a speculation or worry. You're like, oh, I already messed it up. It's okay. Progress. Stop it and replace it with the truth. Have some truth ready for you to replace that lie or that accusation or speculation right then. And you might do it a hundred times. You might, this is exhausting. I, I prayed it a hundred times yesterday. You know what else is exhausting? Living in a reality that's not true and letting it just ravage your emotions. But we seem okay with that. You're at war. Begin to fight. Begin to have these verses ready. Begin to have something in front of you. What if you thought of yourself the way God thinks about you? What if that began to happen? What if you began to think of your enemies the way God thinks about them? What if you began to see your spouse the way God sees them because you were constantly thinking through good thoughts? What if you began to see parenting the way God sees your parenting? What if you were going to see your boss or your employees the way God sees it? What if you began to see your business the way God sees your business? Everything would change for us if we began to think more and more on God's ways, replacing our negative thoughts, because we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We can be transformed by changing the way we think. This isn't some dime store self-help positive thinking book. This is life-changing. This changes the trajectory of your life and your experience, especially for those of us like me who have dealt with anxiety for decades. And here's a fact. The New Testament says about positive thinking. Are you ready, about, are you ready for this positive thinking from, from the New Testament? Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. May this verse be the filter for your thought life. This is a good one to write down on a piece of paper and put it in your pocket or put it on your phone screen and see it 10 times a day. Become familiar with it. Get, get to know it. Like Get this one in you. And that way when a thought comes that isn't true, it's false, should you think about it? When a thought comes that says whatever is lovely, what if it's an ugly thought about yourself or about somebody else? Don't think about it. We need a filter system for our thoughts. This is a great one to start with. Have this memorized. In fact, then you know what you can do. Then you begin to meditate on it. Then you begin to actually have it be a part of your day. Um, you're driving in your car and you think, what are 25 ways that my wife is lovely? Now, for some of you, that's going to be really easy. But for some of you, you need to go through this exercise because that right there is a, is a good focused thought about somebody else. And you need neural pathways. What, what are... What are some different ways? What are some ways that my, um, what are some ways that my, my children and their, their activities and their way they act are lovely? 
And go through and be remembered. Count them. Do that. Use this as a meditative practice to begin thinking good things to replace all those negative ones. Thank God for neuroplasticity. Thank goodness he created us like this to renew our mind. Orchard, we can be transformed by by changing the way we think. Scripture says so. We can experience a different life, a true life change based on renewing our thinking. And this isn't pop psychology. This is melding the deep truths of the Bible with the reality of how he created us to be. So think good thoughts. Again, not perfection, just progress. And when you worry, stop. Let's change. But may our minds be renewed. May our way of thinking be changed. May the Shema, which is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and others as yourself, may that not just become a t-shirt, may that become a mantra and a meditation that you take it with it through your day as as you're getting attacked. May you come to know that truth. So the verse says, love the Lord your God with all your mind. Jesus added that one in there specifically in the New Testament. What does it mean to love God with your imagination? What does it mean to love God with your thoughts? Orchard, there's a war, and it is time to stand up and stand on truth. That's why I always encourage us to know, to know God's truth about who he says you are and who he says we are. We're going to take communion. But first, the... Before you take communion, I'm going to read you something about the next song we're going to sing. This, this, this song, because I want you to use your imagination. Your imagination is a gift from God. Imagination is sometimes how you pray good things in the future and, and, and visualize that. It says in Isaiah 6, Isaiah is in the temple and God gives him this vision of the temple opening and he sees God in heaven and he sees his his robe filling the earth and there's smoke and and things shake. And then he says he sees these angels. He gets a glimpse inside the throne room of heaven. He sees these angels called seraphs, which means burning one. They're just burning in, in worship for God. And these seraphs are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Declare, and when they declare that, the place shakes because he's so holy, he's so big. And so as we sing this song, and it describes so many of the different parts of God and what he's like, will you engage your mind and imagination along with your singing? And may you love God with all your mind during this song. And if nothing else, just see those seraphs saying, holy, holy, holy. Did you know right now at this very moment in heaven, they are declaring holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. We're going to sing with them. Engage your mind, engage your heart, and let's sing.